welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast, our last one of 2020. And uh, before we start ringing the year out, um, you've got a few thoughts uh, and comments from me, Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, uh, taking a look at some issues of the last last week or two in our industry. But uh, kicking off with our five star and no star awards, uh, this time we're kind of giving them out for the, the year as a whole rather than just the last week. So, uh, Andrew, off you go with the five star award going to. Well, I, I think it has to be the resilience of the hospitality industry and in particular its employees in what has been the most challenging of years, in the, the most challenging year really the sector's ever seen. Uh, n- never have we witnessed a period in which most hotels have actually closed their doors and most hospitality establishments have been shut at some point for for weeks sometimes months on end um, and in fact there are still properties which are closed now um, and have been closed since since march um a, a true i mean the word unprecedented is well <laughs> well overused yeah. but yeah. Uh, i mean it, it, it has just been uh, fantastical in terms of the the how how gruesome um it has been um so i mean the, the, the i think the the workforce um a hundred percent deserve um, any awards that they they can get. I mean, let's hope there's a few more meaningful ones than the ones we can offer, Chris, in terms yep, of yep. government support. But you're right. I mean, the centre coming down the track. But it's uh, been some inspiring uh, stories of people taking in the homeless. You know, hotels yep, taking in the yep, homeless and really yep. kind of giving them uh, five star treatment. There's been uh, people. Those those you know, obviously, many people have been laid off. Uh, those who stayed mm-hmm. in work have had to reskill run faster to stand still um so it's been uh, tough all around and of course the no star has to go to that most unpredictable of things the virus which continues to create havoc actually as i think we're about to discuss in terms of the year ahead mm, yes so uh yes as you and i sit here andrew um Europe is currently cut off from the UK, not not <laughs> due to fog, but due to some uh, kind of rather panicky knee-jerk reaction to the news that uh, the uh, the virus has raised new strains. Uh, but let's uh, let's hope that gets resolved shortly. What can we look forward to over the coming months? Well, I'm not sure looking forward to in the sense of there's something you have eager anticipation for is, is well, I think right we, none phrase, of us want to look back <laughs> <laughs> no, no no well no but um, unfortunately I think it's, it'll be as bad um, for the first few months um, I, I, I would say two to three months January February and probably March um, could well see um, a full-on lock lockdown coming coming up um, I've my nerdy reading I have I've just been looking at the meeting of the new and emerging respiratory virus threats advisory group which is snappy a, name. A, a, yes it is a snappy name a nerve tag um, which is a government advisory body and it has as a member no less than professor lockdown himself Neil Ferguson who mm. was the academic and um, um, disease specialist who was able um, really to convince the government to enter into its uh, lockdown back in March um, and his and well this group's latest pronouncements are that um, the 
new variant which has caused uh, um, the continent to close off its borders with the UK and in fact many other countries around the world, something like 50 countries I think have <laughs> stopped um, connections with the UK at the moment. Um, but this this group have said they have identified a variant of the virus which is significantly more transmissible and you know therefore much bigger threat in that it has the potential to truly rip through um, the population. Um, so I, I suspect the reaction to this is going to be as tight, if not tighter, lockdowns. And the reality is that um, you know, I think most I think the French have admitted it today um, that this this variant is already widespread in in their communities over, across the channel um and I, I i think it's 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 there in in most um most of europe now so i think there's going to be um very likely we will see uh, an even more severe or certainly as severe lockdown for the first few months of uh, 2021 uh, the key thing that we we need is of course the vaccine um to come in and and help with that but um well, more and more of them are being approved in more and more countries. Uh, Absolutely, I mean, even the, the, today, the, the, there was another approval. I think in the states. So. Yeah, no, um, I mean, the big one is the Astra, the Oxford AstraZeneca um, vaccine because it's so much easier to deploy um, once that comes through um, but I mean you know there's reassuring uh, news in terms of the first vaccine that got approval the the BioNTech Pfizer vaccine the founders of BioNTech were in the papers today saying look um, w whatever adaptation this um, variant of the virus has taken we are likely to be able to to tweak our vaccine so it's still covered and most people seem to think that the vaccine still hits this variant of it and we've remembered we've had lots of different variants it's just that this particular one is proving um particularly pernicious particularly transmissible which has created this latest um, um set of alarm bells going off but i think as the ft chose as its uh, year and a word it talked about the r number and the mm. r number is this this the how how the virus reproduces and if it's below one it's good in that the virus is shrinking if it's above one it's bad in that the virus is growing um i i think the acronym of next year is going to be the infection mortality rate and this matters so much in terms of our community's attitude to reopening and getting things back online again because once we start having vaccine in people's arms and as we speak more than half a million uh, British citizens have now had a vaccine or the first bit of the vaccine that they were not going to be properly vaccinated until they have the second dose in three weeks time and then a week after that I think so even those these first ones won't be truly um, um, virus proofed as it were until um, late in January but when we get to the point where the bulk of the population has had it the most vulnerable in the population and that's something like nine percent of the population who fall into the, the the really vulnerable categories once we get to just under half of the population being vaccinated and having um, what is effectively herd immunity um, the 99 percent of of deaths just uh, will, won't happen um, 
so we're much better and it, and it looks less severe than say a bad dose of flu mm. um, once we get to that point i think we can start seeing um, hospitality reopen properly um, i think the, the surest sign that we're back to some sense of normality is when they finally fling open the doors of nightclubs um, which I, you know well let's let's make a prediction i, I think we will probably get to that point by oh i think near my birthday which is in april and i think we'll have um we will have that and there will be a birthday celebration on my part when <laughs> i can go night clubbing chris so <laughs> right how about that so i mean i i think we you know i, I think that's the point which we will get that that's coming but mm. i mean right now it is it's clearly a case that it's it's darkest before dawn dawn is coming but we're at midnight one o'clock in the morning um and it, we've got a few very difficult hours ahead um and I, you know, it won't be until Easter really before there, there's a sense that this we're beginning to see the final, the final throes of this virus. Now, I, I think with this, there's there's two critical phases of this. The first is this notion of of the infection mortality rate going down, so that we feel more secure to get out there and start behaving more normally. I think the second thing that will finally see off the virus is as that herd immunity builds and the virus is not able to transmit anymore and is just killed off eventually. That's probably going to be by the autumn of next year. So 2021 is going to see off this this um, terrible situation we've we've found ourselves in for well for already uh, nine months and unfortunately i think it's going to get into the full 12 months and beyond before we begin to see the the back of it but i you know i i'm very confident um from reading reading around in terms of the vaccines and the the success of the vaccines from re reading all of the you know that i don't think we're going to see a sudden mutation to it becoming a killer virus and wiping us all out or any of this no. nonsense so I, I i think it's going to be um a, a better by the end of 21 we will be back at it um as an industry um it's just going to be how we get through those of you know what is going to be a very grim rest of the winter and early spring i think um and 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 then you know the good news kicks in um in that i i think at that point we're going to see a stellar recovery and um we've you know we won't have seen a recovery like the one we're going to enjoy for decades um people are talking about the roaring 20s coming back <laughs> um and and, and I, you know i really hope that this is going to be the case and there are good signs of that mm. um we are you know th there's a lot of money there sitting waiting to well, be deployed can't be, uh, lots people, of money can't be spent even at the consumer level at the moment absolutely so. at the consumer level i mean this is a very weird recession in that people have um consumer savings have gone up which is you know very very unusual for that to happen in a, in a recession so we should come out of this well there's undoubted massive pain for for, for some individuals um for some others they've actually financially been much better off um during this um during this period and they all come out with fat checkbooks to wanting to 
spend so i mean i think that that is the opportunity that that's there and i think as we we you know and i think ironically what we're going to be talking about in a few years time is the threat of inflation and <laughs> the threat of interest rates going, going oh up. for but, such uh, easy worries yeah, yes exactly <laughs> exactly that in the meantime you know let's hope it, it is indeed the roaring 20s yeah absolutely now we're going to go on to talk about uh the irish hotel group dalata who recently was a trading update they said that uh, they thought earnings were going to be slightly ahead of their their own expectations um and while you know like uh, anyone else who operates hotels in ireland or mainland uk uh, is is struggling to find guests and any demand much at all at the moment um they are look, nevertheless looking forward they've got a strong pipeline of new developments coming through and i was speaking with uh, one of their senior team Dermot crowley this week about where he sees the opportunities in the next year to maybe pick up some new sites and further grow their portfolio certainly around mainland uk and into london because of course they grew their current business out of a previous previous uh, financial downturn and um uh, the gfc yeah, indeed, yeah, yeah. so they, they seem they seem pretty positive and pretty up for it frankly they do i mean one thing i think you're a very good piece Chris, um, you, you wrote in your comments about uh, you know Delato were like Whitbread in continuing to pay their landlords. Yeah, yeah. And of course, today's news: what do what do we see? Um, Whitbread's announcing that they're only going to pay fifty percent of the the rent bill for the next quarter, uh, due at the end of December. Um, I think that reflects um, an, a number of things. I mean, possibly there's a little bit of um, they've seen what's happened at Travel Lodge, mm-hmm. and Travel Lodge have lost barely a dozen hotels, and they've thought, well, what the heck? Um, we we need to um, share the pain that we've been suffering with our own landlords. I mean, I mean, Whitbread is largely an owner operator of its 820 odd hotels. About 350 are leased. Mm. So the majority of its hotels are owned but for that you know that 350 is a substantial number and if they can pay half the rent on them for a quarter that will make a significant difference they don't particularly have to do it but i think they figure that you know given the circumstances it's a, it's probably the right thing to do share a bit of the mm-hmm. pain um around um uh, and it'd be interesting to see how they do that and what actions the landlords are going to take with them because mm. um, I don't think Whitbread will go through a company voluntary arrangement I think there's a little chance of that so quite how this is imposed on the landlords mm. is an interesting question I think going forward but I think it, it, it does reflect again just how gruesome this is this whole situation is financially robust company like we've read feels that it needs to to actually pass on some of the pain it suffered over this period um well and uh demo crowley said that going forward he'd be much keener to be uh reorganizing uh or, or signing new leases in a slightly different format that perhaps shared some of the uh uh, risk a bit more fairly with the landlords um they're not unhappy with the with the leases on the buildings that they currently rent um but you know going forward he'd like the new lease format to be somewhat different um yeah i mean it's interesting i mean i think the thing is whitbread's number one by far in the budget hotel mm-hmm. space um and it's number two has already clobbered landlords so you know uh, unless you're going to be signing a lease with um Accor for ibis or or holiday and express um where are you going to go yeah. for your for your leases yeah. actually in that marketplace i think delata is in a slightly trickier position in that, that there are 
more options for landlords and it's a smaller mm. company um, so that, that they need to um, demonstrate that, that you know that they are a good bet from a from a landlord's perspective and i think there's a greater need for to to demonstrate that covenant strength than there is at whip yeah, end i think you're right um so i i, I, th- I think that's so I, I i suspect that they will continue at delata to keep well and also delata has, has we'll they, they said they're not really that interested in taking over tired old second-hand space um they see the opportunities for growing their portfolio in uh, in the uk around taking on new builds nice efficient new new construction and um you're not going to necessarily get those um unless you dance to the landlord's tune Mm. No, I, I, I agree, but I do, I do think that the sector as a whole now is going to be looked on in a different light. It's gone back again, gone back a few decades to being seen as a difficult mm. sector, and I suspect we will have newer, more flexible agreements um, going forward because those landlords that are left still interested in the sector um, I, I, I will understand that that is the better way to have a, at the very least some sort of turnover related rents agreement rather than a fixed lease that's a far more sensible arrangement to have um, and th- those landlords that were just looking for a quarterly rent check and having no real involvement in the in the business that supports that rental payment I think those landlords are going to exit um, the, the sector um, which which you know will bring which will mean ultimately um yields will have to rise um rents will have to rise to cover off that risk bit but um given the weight of money that's waiting to deploy in the sector i don't think that's a problem in the in the near term now let's look a little more at what uh, people think may be going to be happening through next year uh, particularly around a couple of topics uh one the deployment of new technology and the other that the whole business of loyalty uh, we got a bit of color from uh, Expedia at their recent partner day as to where they see technology coming in and uh, they're expecting artificial intelligence to help them be a bit smarter in the way they uh, look after both uh, customers booking booking guests and also their partner businesses um, and also I've been raking over some of the comments uh, that the uh, consultants have to say about the business of loyalty and what is loyalty actually going to mean? What are people going to want to be loyal customers uh, when they all get back to travelling once more? Um, you know, you've got uh, thousands and thousands of road warriors who've not been allowed to get on the road in the last year, and um, you know they were used to perhaps gathering millions of points on their um, uh, their airfares and on their hotel stays, um, which probably were you know something that helped fund the uh, f- family visit to the resort. For uh, the the family break each year, so that that whole thing has been disrupted. Will they go back to the same hotel brands, the same uh, flights as before? Will they be looking for something new, something different? And what's going to keep them attached to those um, those loyalty programs? I generally I'm a skeptic about the notion that COVID has upturned everything and it's all going to be different um, post COVID. Um, I, I think we've referred to COVID as being an accelerant um, for change rather than a change agent mm. in itself. And I think you know this is this is going to remain true for loyalty it's just speeding up existing trends and consumers are adopting new patterns of behavior more quickly than they would otherwise have um so 
I, I think if we look at this, um, there's a short-term thing, yeah, absolutely, where consumers suddenly think, oh, well, we need, you know, we're, we're very focused on safety, we're very focused on cleanliness. I really doubt these are going yeah, to be long-term I think you're trends right. it's in just the gonna, industry. You become givens, um, and unless there's a shock, then you yeah, just put them I, in the back of your mind. I think, you know... Some some creative marketer will come up with something. So I think back to something like the the Western Heavenly Bed, where suddenly something as basic as the bed you sleep in was turned into an angle mm. for marketing. And I think that's going to be possible with some of this stuff. But by and large, no, it's going to be it's it's going to be in the rear view. Yes, I think so Expedia's you know, Cyril I, Rank. I he said, you know, the one, once you know the, the first the first trip after the pandemic might raise your anxiety levels, but once you've done the one you know things will start to feel back to normal yeah yeah no exactly that and um the the, the problem is as well everybody has got one well, not everybody but most people i mean uh, britannia hotels probably has a <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a rag over there as we remarked on in last week's episode yes but most other um brands and properties um and indeed independents have are able to to talk about uh, you know their enhanced cleaning um so i'm, I'm not sure it's uh it, it somehow it, it's a differentiating mm. factor out there for the, for them so um I, th- I think some of the things that uh, um, you know, as, as we look, as we come out of this, what what is going to be critical? Um, I, I think this is that the flexibility piece is going to be mm. an interesting one to watch because clearly consumers are going to be very very jumpy about putting money down and booking, um, and there's going to be a trade off between flexibility and price. If you're prepared to take the risk, you know you get the reward of a much lower price, and I think that's going to we're going to see a lot more of this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, budget airlines are already doing that quite mm. explicitly pre-pandemic and i think we're only going to see more of that and it's a good way for hotels also to um to grab consumers directly and get them to book direct by offering them better better ways you know rather they can maintain uh, price integrity but perhaps offer more flexibility if there is uh, book direct and more upgrades and all this kind of thing even more than there had been before so i think then the key vehicle for this is of course mm. the loyalty scheme where they're in touch with their their most regular customers and they can punt out the um these various offers to them i think and um and and further enhance the the book direct piece which um had you know been had been somewhat mixed pre-pandemic i think there is a great opportunity for that in part because the the core customer base right now is going to be domestic and you know close um, you know, countries mm. close by, um, and hotels ha- have and uh, will be able to reach out to them much more effectively than the more you know, the further flung guests coming in, where you do need um, intermediaries like um, Expedia who have all that translation ability and uh, um, cultural affinity with different markets. You know, whether it's like Brazil, where they like to prepay in stages for a holiday, etc. Uh, Expedia has in place stuff to deal with that which is the next impossible for for a national hotel chain in europe for example mm. to deal with. so i suppose the question is uh, you know expedia are hoping and uh, i guess as, as booking will be that you know their their new smarter approach will uh, hook you in and you'll you'll come back and uh, book the whole thing with them and their fantastic ai system will find you the right size car to go with the, the group you're traveling in and all that kind of good stuff yeah, I, I think I think one one thing I I really know I, I watch some of the um the the, the 
uh, presentations during the partner event which was of course online this year um usually it's a um a shindig in las vegas but um this year that I, I really picked up on a tone of expedia wanting to 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 demonstrate it he's a partner to travel suppliers mm. um and it even talked about it was intriguing um video which um you can go and check out um on on its site um where it's about its move into the the cruise market and um it's got this offline it started establishing offline cruise consultants you go into an office and you you sit down with the consultant and you talk about your mm. your holiday plans <laughs> yeah. you? there used yeah. to be an outfit it's called just... thomas cook where you could go and do that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah quite um but but clearly you know they see that 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 omni channel as they mm. described it um that that's a critical bit now bizarrely they sort of in the video they suggested these this couple uh, sat down um and they talked through the options and they went home and booked everything online via expedia which seemed to me a bit perverse surely you just <laughs> if take, you got them take the money front of you, you would just book them there and then but <laughs> who knows but um but certainly i think there is this 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 notion now within expedia itself that it you know wants to work with partners i mean we saw that really come home back in april of uh, 2019 when um expedia and marriott inked the deal um so marriott uh, marriott's um vacation by marriott which is a website where you can go and book your flights and everything else and um, um activities and that kind of stuff um, that's all um, powered by or the white labeled by mm. expedia um, and of course the other critical bit is the commission rates which yeah. have come right down i mean the rumor back then was that it's 10 percent, and i think one of the th things that expedia's had to do is radically cut back on the amount it um charges in terms of commission so i think most of the the major hotel chains are able to get um commission rates very close to 10 percent um only just just into double digits um, and that's a you know quite a radical switch from where we were two three years ago and i think that's going to carry on and and i think you know the, the offer that expedia has is look at you know to their travel supplier partners is you know we can use our tech to enhance your customer offer we can do stuff which makes you as a brand look more appealing to your customers and i think that you know where i mean it's always going to be a mm. tense relationship but it does seem to me that as we emerge out of this um, we're not going to see that we have historically seen um, post recessions which is where the otas come and swoop all before them um, i don't think we're going to see that this time around it's one to watch one to watch very closely but so far so good and expedia is positioning itself very much as a supplier friendly mm. out outfit and what we might expect from next year let's stop right now and wish you a happy festive season we hope you can do the best to enjoy yourselves in these lockdown times and we'll look forward to catching up with you again in the new year bye for now